Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, we have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan and I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode number 34 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. I am coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio. And I don't know why I've adopted this sudden, this late-night radio tone. You're on the drive to home here on 2FM. 2FM, hire me. No, (laughs) no, don't. (laughs) I am adopting this tone, I think, even though it's first thing in the morning, first thing on a Monday morning, which is my regular recording slot for this podcast, whether or not that's when you necessarily listen to it. If you're a devoted listener, you're listening to it on Wednesday mornings when it comes out, but this is when it's recorded. I'm recording this because, I'm sounding like this because I am, I am exhausted, but I am here. I've been gigging an awful lot recently, which is a fantastic complaint to have. It's been all ramping up and doing a a few fair few different gigs but most importantly for you the listener of this podcast is to continue with the announcement that i made on the last episode and that is that we are doing a live show at long last we're doing the fireside sessions the very first day the debut of the fireside sessions we are doing a live show in bellow bar in dublin on the 22nd of august that is a thursday night the 22nd of august and we are going to be doing an evening of storytelling. We're going to have folklore, personal storytelling. We're going to have guests. We're going to have a bit of music. It is going to be a spectacular night. And I can't wait to tell you more and more about it as we know more and more about it ourselves. But we have our date purely secured. It's going to be a great night. So please do come along. Tickets for that will be very limited. I would love to sell out the first show to make it a thing that could be a regular occurrence. We'd love to do it on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. If you haven't been to Bellow Bar before, it is a fantastic, fantastic venue. I performed a gig there last October, and I loved loved the experience there. And we're really looking forward to it. We're going to record it as a live podcast as well. Tickets, I should say. Tickets will be available on, are available right now, certainly will be when you're hearing this, be available on Eventbrite. So if you look up Fireside Live or the Fireside Sessions, you'll be able to find it. I'll be sharing it, the crap out of it on my Instagram, at Solo O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O. If you are a listener outside of Ireland, I'm so sorry. We will hopefully come to you one day if this proves to be 
a huge success. How great would that be to take this abroad? But you always know what you can do to continue to support this podcast. You can f- you can continue to like, subscribe, leave comments, ratings, wherever you get your podcasts. They really do make a difference. Recommend this podcast to a friend. Follow me on Instagram. There are so many little tiny details you can do. They're all free. Like this podcast and they keep this podcast free. And this live show is an opportunity to keep us to keep us afloat, to keep this podcast going as it does at the moment through mainly the entire, through the graft of myself and Jamie, my producer, and through the incredible support of the good folks here at the Head Stuff who gave this podcast a chance. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, this is, of course, all not meaningless, but you're probably thinking, let's get down to the podcast, and we will do that. And then you can decide whether you want to do all those things, whether you even want or bothered coming to a live show. But I'm incredibly excited, even if I sound very drained as I am. I am tired, but I'm still going to give you your weekly dose of storytelling goodness, and I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to find, dig deep for that last few percentage of energy that's in there somewhere. In case you're wondering, it's mainly what I've been doing that has me so tired. I was gigging in Sligo all weekend. I was emceeing some bingo loco gigs up there, which was wild. Sligo was a great town. It's a big hen and stag town. So they were two hardcore evenings on Friday and Saturday night. They were fantastic. Arrived back to Dublin on Saturday morning, or Sunday morning at five in the morning. And then I was doing a corporate gig on Sunday afternoon for Schweppes, doing a guided tour around Dublin telling some stories, talking about some history, and then I had my usual gig of the Dublin Literary Pub Crawl last night, so it was a great, great weekend of gigs, great weekend of stories, and now I'm delighted to be back in the studio this morning to kick off another week, and this will be the week that we really ramp up the preparation on on the live show, and I can't wait to tell you all more about it, so you'll hear about it on the episodes, of course, as we move towards them. But if you want to know more live updates, again, yes, please follow me on Instagram. That is the best way to get in contact with me and to find out every update on this podcast at Olahan Solo, O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O, all one word. But enough plugging, enough rambling. We're going to get down to the story itself. We are returning to the historical cycle of Irish mythology. This is our second tale after the tale of Lowry Lynchock. We had the last time. There are similar elements to this one but very different elements as well. This is this is a fun one. They're all fun. They're all great. But this is, again, a story that I didn't know at all until, until reading about it, but I loved it. There are elements to the story. There are plot devices that are wonderful. There are very familiar ones, very, very familiar themes to a lot of myths, not just Irish, to Greek and Roman and everything else, but also there are some uniquely Irish elements to this. We'll chat more, of course, as always, after the podcast. But here it is. I hope you enjoy Nile of the Nine Hostages on Fireside. Nile of the Nine Hostages. The High King at Tara was Yuki. He was married to the sister of the King of Munster, the beautiful and dark-haired Mongfind. With her, Yucky had four sons, Brian, Alil, 
Burgess, and Fiacra. Although he loved his four sons and knew they had a devoted and passionate mother, Yuki could never love Mongfin in the way that she loved him. After the birth of Fergus, it became clear that there was nothing Mongfin could do to make her husband love her. The king's eye began to wander, and it was to Saxony that it lay its focus on. The daughter of the king of Saxony was named Karen, and it was her whom Yuki fell in love with. When he knew Karen felt the same way, Yuki sailed over to Saxony and brought Karen home with him to Tara. It did not take Mongfin long to find out. The scorn and jealousy turned Mongfin into a truly terrifying woman. All those in the service of the High King feared her. When Mongfin found out about Karen, she had her followers put the young princess to work. They enslaved her and forced her to carry water to and from Tara for hours on end. Such was the fear that Mongfin commanded that no one even dared to look at Karen. Even Yucky as king feared his wife and could do nothing to save his true love. After all, he did not love Mongfin, but she had given him four sons. However, soon Karen became pregnant herself. When Mongfin found out, she worked the poor girl even harder. She knew that if Karen delivered Yucky a child, it was all over. So she became committed that Karen would not carry the child to term. But even under immense hard labour, Karen was resilient, tenacious. Even under immense stress, she carried her baby the full nine months. Her tenacity came to such a point that when it came time to deliver, Karen was in the middle of carrying buckets of water and so just gave birth right there in the grass on the hill. So afraid was she of Mongfin and what she might do if she discovered the baby alive, Karen didn't even look at her child. She just stood back up and carried that water into Tara. The baby on the grass howled, but nobody heard. Plenty walked by, but all knew what would be the result if they acknowledged. No one looked, no one heard, except one. A poet. From the court of Tara, the poet Torna could not ignore the cries of the newborn. He picked up the child and a vision came to him. A vision that this baby would create an unending line of kings, that every ruler of Ireland would be descended from this one man. It was then Torna knew he must raise this child in secret, and only bring him back to Tara when he was ready to claim his birthright. The child was named Niall, from the Old Irish for Champion. Little is known of Niall's adolescence. But some twenty years after his birth, a young man returned to that well on the hill and found a woman still carrying buckets of water. Excuse me, the young man said. Can you tell me why the mother of the son of the king of Tara is carrying water? Karen was confused. Surely this was just further torment from Mongfin. She had always wondered what had become of the baby she had left crying on the grass that day. She assumed it had either been killed or died of exposure. She would not even look at the young man speaking to her now. Why do you not look upon me, mother? Because I have no son. Niall knelt down and took his mother's face in his hands. Once Karen saw the likeness of Yucky, her love, and of herself in this handsome youth, she knew the truth. 
My child, she let out as she embraced her son for the very first time. Yes, mother, I've come home. And as long as I am here, you will carry water no more, nor will you be dressed in rags. You shall have the finest clothes that can be made by man. Oh, please, son, no. The queen, the queen won't like that. Mongfin's time of ruling over my family is approaching its final hour. It was then Karen began to cry. What is it, mother? I've just realized, my son. You're a man, and I don't even know your name. I was raised by the poet Torna. It was he who raised me up and gave me my name. My name is Nile, and I have come to claim my throne. Nile took Karen and had her dressed in long purple robes, adorned with fur. He wanted to make her as comfortable as possible after her years of torment. Together they marched into the throne room at Tara. Nile announced himself to the king and queen. There was silence in the room. I do not believe this bastard child, said Mongfin. He should be whipped for wasting our time. But Yoki was not so easily convinced. He went up and saw the face of his true love in the boy standing before him. My son, said the king, embracing Nile. After a lifetime without mother or father, in one day Nile had been reunited with both. Mongfin was incensed. How had this happened? What could she do? She knew it was too late to have Nile killed. Knowing the clock was ticking, Mongfin went to Yuki. My husband, I think the time has come for us to both retire. It is high time you picked an heir from your four sons. You forget, Mongfin. I have five sons now. You have four sons and a bastard you met today. How can he possibly compare to the four boys I birthed for you and you raised as princes? Mongfin had been sure that Yuki would pick Brian, her eldest, or at least one of her four sons that he had raised. But Yuki wouldn't be swayed. He would not play favourites. Even if he had just met him that day, if Niall was his son, he had as much right to aim for the crown as the others. So Yuki went to his druid Sithkin to devise a trial, a test, to see who of his sons was the most worthy to rule. The five sons were gathered, Brian, Alil, Fiacra, Fergus and Niall. They were taken to a forge and asked to each go in and craft a weapon. Sithkin said that they would each be judged on what they crafted. But as soon as they went inside the forge, the druid barred the door and set the building on fire. The real test would be what the sons of Yuki would save from the flame. The eldest, Brian, was the first to emerge. He carried the hammers. Sithkin proclaimed this meant Brian was strong and a born warrior. Fiacra carried a cask of beer, which apparently meant that he would hold the beauty and the science of the people. Some things never change, I guess. Alil came out carrying as many weapons as his arms could carry, and Sithkin said that this would make him the sword of vengeance for all. Fergus emerged from the ford carrying a bundle of kindling. This was a bad omen. 
which meant that Fergus was impotent and would bear no children. That was him out of the race, I suppose. Last to burst out of the flaming forge was Nile, who carried the heaviest burden of all, an anvil. Sithkin proclaimed Nile the solid anvil of the people and the one who should be king. A likely story, said the unsurprisingly unconvinced Mongfin. The scorned woman went to her four sons and told them to start a fight between them and told them that when Nile interceded to kill him and then claim it had been an accident in the heat of the moment. The four fearful sons dutifully obeyed then began to loudly quarrel with each other. Niall saw this and always the peacekeeper went to break it up, but Karen held his arm. She was finally regaining her self-respect and suspected that this was the work of Mungfin. Do not get involved, my son. Let the sons of Yucky sort it out amongst themselves. Mungfin was once again thwarted. Though Brian, Alil, Fiacra and Fergus each wanted to be king and deeply feared their mother, they felt bad for Niall. After all, he was their half-brother at least. They had been raised as princes in a loving home and he had to live in exile. The four brothers decided that if any of them were to deserve the throne, they must each respect each other. So the five sons of Yucky went out together on a hunt. They journeyed far and deep into the Irish forests in search of mighty game. They ran and hunted all day, and when night time came, they prepared a fire and had a great feed of all they had caught. The five sons were all relieved to get a break from the pressures of life at Tara. They all ate and told stories around the fireside until they realized that none of them had brought any water. They were each struck with a powerful thirst, so Brian turned to Fergus and said, Fergus, you're the youngest. You go fetch some water. Yeah, Fergus, you impotent sod, laughed Fiacre. The young Fergus searched through the forest for a river or a spring, but found nothing. He was about to give up when the young prince came upon a well, but blocking the path to the well was a woman, and not a beautiful one. She was an old hag, with long, brittle, branch-like arms and legs, matted hair, barely any teeth. She looked more part of the forest than of the human world. Hi there, handsome. Would you like some water? I, yes, I, I would, please. We are very thirsty. So am I. The water will cost you. Give us a kiss. Fergus was repulsed. I would rather die of thirst than kiss you. He left the well, returned to his brothers, and claimed he had found nothing. One by one, each of the brothers went searching for water, and each one found the well and the hag. The price was always the same. Brian and Aliel refused outright. Fiacre just about mustered up the courage to give the woman a peck on the cheek. For that I will tell you that two of your descendants will be kings, but I will not give you any water. Even though each of the brothers experienced the same ordeal, none of them were willing to admit it to each other, each merely returning to camp, saying they had found nothing. But when Niall went to the well and found the hag, he said, Not only will I kiss you, I will lie with you this night. 
Yucky's long-lost son took the old woman in his arms, tore off her rags and made love to her beneath the stars. Niall was not messing around. When they awoke, Niall found that beside him was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. It was definitely the same woman, but totally revitalised in every way. Beautiful, full skin, long, blonde hair. She was still of the forest, but now looked a goddess of it, rather than a creature from beneath it. This vision said, You will be king, and you will start the greatest dynasty Ireland will ever know. Take the water, Nile." future king of Tara, and take it to your brothers, but do not let them drink unless they each give up their claim to the throne. Niall obeyed, returning to camp carrying heavy buckets of water like his mother had been forced to do for so much of her life. When he arrived, each of his brothers was wasting away. They did not take long to each renounce their pursuit of the throne and proclaimed Niall the new king. The five sons of Yucky returned to Tara, and when their father asked how the hunt went, it was Niall who spoke. Mongfin cut him off. You have four elder brothers, boy. It is not appropriate for you to answer. No, mother, said Brian. We are each older than him, but Niall is the one who will be king. The floor is his. The first four sons of Yucky were men of their word, and all of Mongfin's fears came true. Her lifetime of machinations came to nothing. Niall was declared High King at Tara. But it is how he secured his reign that Niall earned his greatest title. He set out to conquer each province of Ireland, Britain, and Scotland, and to ensure he kept rule of each kingdom. From each province, Niall took a hostage, with nine in total. And all of the kings that ruled in the subsequent centuries were all descended from Niall of the Nine Hostages. And it is from him we get the name O'Neill, the son of Niall. To be continued. <laughs> And there we have the story of Niall of the Nine Hostages on Fireside, which is great, isn't it? Bet you didn't see that coming at the end. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this a bit. There's, there's, phenomenal, there's phenomenal set pieces in this. Mongfin. How about Mongfin as, as an archetypical evil stepmother? God love her. You know, she's trying to find some redeeming quality to her. And I suppose you do get it. We're not really given a huge amount of context, but it's simple enough. She gives, She's the queen of Ireland, gives the king four sons, and still he doesn't love her. He loves another. That would drive you demented, wouldn't it? And I love that she just keeps her position. She just stays queen, but just does whatever she can to make this woman's life a living hell. I love that even Yucky, as king, can't stop Mongfin tormenting Karen, who he loves. Karen, daughter of Saxony. Interesting, we're getting a bit of mixed breeding in here, isn't it? We're bringing in, we're bringing in the Brits. She's a British, she's a British princess who's come over. That like, like, so again, like the historical cycle is a funny one because a lot of them are based, certainly in some part on history. There are nearly in all of these cases at least someone who existed with the name at a certain time and we have a time for their rule. 
and Niall, of course, is this this patriarch, this head. This is almost creationist myth of the O'Neill, of the O'Neill clan, the O'Neill clan who are one of the greatest historically families, clan names in Irish history, certainly in early and middle Irish history. It's very much the O'Neills, particularly in the north. And that is why I think it's particularly interesting that that Niall takes rule of of Ireland, of the provinces of Ireland, Britain and Scotland, as it is mentioned in the source I have here, that it is a, a Northern Irish clan that they would be most well known as the O'Neill, the O'Neill clans of the who ruled most of Ireland for the ninth and tenth century, I believe that it is. So of course he is their founding founding father. And what a founding father he is. There is this wonderful set piece of these trials for the king, for the kingship of Tara, and this wonderful metaphor of the five sons going into this, emerging from this burning forge. I love that they don't have to run in and run out. It's they have to be tricked to put in to go into the forge, and then the forge is set on fire, which is just fantastic. And these these metaphors, these items that I don't think are necessarily a given here. You have what you have Breen coming out with the hammers, fair enough strength, hammering, hammer and tongue, so he's gonna be a warrior. You have Alil coming out with it's Alil who no, it's Fiakra, is it, who comes out with the beer, which yes says he cares for the beauty and the science of the people with a crate of beer. Well, I think that's wonderful anyway. I'm not gonna look into that anymore. We have poor Al Fergus who is impotent because he comes out carrying a bunch of twigs from a fire, no less. And then Niall, yes, we get that with the anvil, this heavy this heavy foundation that he would have to be the strength and foundation of a kingdom. And then it's just not being good for Mongfin again. And then this incredible hunting trip and this old hag who just wants a bit of a kiss and Niall is not messing around. That's what kind of just shifts this story, isn't it? You just You get a real sense of person there because a lot of these... A lot of these figures, these heroic central characters in these uh, myths, some of them can be quite archetypical, you know, just all perfect. And they arrived and they were perfect and they took the kingship and they were a prosperous reign. But here we have Niall just going on a hunting trip and needing some water. And he was like, I'll see your kiss. I'll raise you a kiss and I'll see your kiss and I'll raise you a roll, a roll on the grass. I hope I know there was a there was a, a bee bomb and and a reference to some intimacy, a romantic interlude among the rhododendrons, as James Joyce would say. But I don't think that's necessarily totally on PG. That's that's life, isn't it? It's the birds and the bees. And you have Niall laying with this old hag and her becoming this beautiful, ravishing woman when he wakes up that proclaims him the king. Offer a bit of ishka, a bit of water. And then he comes back and is declared so. It, um, the the bard mythologies, which I've become more and more in love with as a website, which has a lot of these stories like really well told, a lot of them that are there and I use as a big time source, especially for the historical cycle at the moment because the historical cycle, funnily enough, isn't in my book, my creative, my complete Irish mythology by Lady Gregory. Complete Irish mythology, you say, and no historical cycle. But uh, bard mythologies have these wonderful illustrations 
uh, for each of their stories. And the one of Niall is a quite it's a quite a terrifying image. Uh, usually they're just quite typically beautiful looking men, but Niall has a strange look. He's very dark, pale, kind of sunken face, like long hair covering over his eyes. Looks very like a lad I went to school with. But it has like it has an epitaph almost for each of them. And the one for Niall is greatest of all kings, Niall of the nine hostages, last of the five sons of the high king, kissed a hag and gained the throne, conqueror of nine kingdoms, took a princely hostage from east from each. Kissed a hag and gained the throne. <laughs> what a rise. What a rise to the to the top. Cause last week we had Larry Lynchuk having to burn his own mother alive to to gain the kingship. And here we have Niall, who indirectly, surely enough, but still, you feel it is the act that does make the difference. It is very much the climactic act, if you'll pardon the double entendre there. It's the climactic act to win his throne is lying, is lying with this hag. I'm not sure what the exact message there is supposed to be. <laughs> sleep your way to the top, basically, regardless of what they look or <laughs> Or sleep at someone at night and you never know what they'll look like in the morning. Could it be that as well? I do love that you have the kind of reverse of that cliche of going to bed at night and waking up beside someone who maybe doesn't look as nice as they did the night before, but that's usually with the drop with the dropping of alcohol involved. <laughs> it doesn't even say necessarily if they does she become his bride? Did he leave her there? That's all for us to find out. And we never really get any conclusion to Mongfin either. Either, like that's also fine as well. You know, what else was she going to do? She, uh, Mongfin is very much. She reminds me a lot of uh, of Hera in Greek mythology in the labors of Heracles. That Hera just hates Heracles with a lifelong passion and does everything to make his life a misery. And there ultimately is no consequence for that. That ultimately, like to be fair does end up leading to Hercules' death, spoiler alert. But even though Hera eventually does become more okay with Hercules at the end, Fred was going to at me there. But here we have just, he won, he beat her fair and square, but ultimately she's still the queen. Quite like that, that she doesn't need to die in a fiery rage. Or like Aoife and the king in the Children of Lear, to be cursed to the sky, to fly forever and ever. She just... The ultimate punishment, I guess, that none of her none of her kids get to be king, except is it Fiacre? I think it's Fiacre, yeah, who's who was willing to give the the hag a peck on the cheek, and she she proclaims that he will have descendants. But it is ultimately Nile with his nine hostages, each from each province. What a wonderful image is that! This Nile, it's just a great name, to be fair. Great title bit of alliteration in there always good Nile of the nine hostages and this idea of him creating this kingdom of hostages and every high king being descended since that's why i thought he was a good one there again there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of i'm sure there is a chronolo- chronology somewhere for the historical cycle but they seem to be able to come out of order so i'm i'm kind of going with which ones feel feel right and there was something that seemed quite foundational about the story of now which i quite liked and once i found out once i read the epitaph and found out about the kiss the hag and gain the throne i said i have to find out i have to find out what happens here but ultimately like we have 
be, that makes Niall quite from like a passive a passive figure to quite an active figure in his claiming of his throne. But also Mongfin serves as what little we do see of her in the story. She serves as as such a, an amazing an amazing enemy to to attempt to thwart this and totally justified because of it. I feel we can see her so clearly. And yes, she is the sister of a king of Munster. Again, quite possibly a real person with a very strange name, Mongfind. I was sure I was going to get that pronunciation wrong, but I listened to a couple of pronunciations and I think we got it okay. But I am going to begin to wrap it up now. I am so, so desperate for a lovely nap. I hope I didn't seem too unenergized this week. I hope I was just more subdued. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast in bed or in the car, and the people do listen to this to unwind. So maybe a more dulcet tone was more appropriate after all. My voice kept up and that the energy level was sustained. Because I am working as much as humanely can, and ultimately it is so I can do this podcast more and so that we can make this live show the best it can be and bring you fireside goodness in a more ways than one. So if you, thank you so much for listening. If it's your first time listening, why don't you go back to the very first episode and build right back up to what we've got here. Please do continue to follow me. Follow me at Olahan Solo on Instagram. Like this podcast, subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating, a comment. Let's crack into those iTunes charts. Let's raise this. If you really want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. And if you want to book tickets to Fireside Live, to the Fireside Sessions, please do so at eventbrite.ie. You can get tickets online there definitely when this comes out. I'm going to do that today so you will have that for a couple of weeks by the time because we're a little bit ahead of ourselves which makes it interesting for planning something planning something that is going to come out that is going to be on a couple of weeks before after never mind <laughs> i think you'll you get what i mean but i'm gonna wrap it up there thank you so much to the folks that had stuff again thank you to jamie my producer thank you so much all you the listener next week we are going to be diving right back into folklore. We've really been finding a great bunch of stories again since I refound I refound a book of folklore stories that I thought I had lost, and it was very very expensive. So I wasn't going to I wasn't going to buy it again out of sheer spite. And uh, it's Shauna Sullivan's book of folklore of Ireland from the Folklore Commission. It's a brilliant book that I actually haven't used too many stories from, and I want to use more from now. And we will have one of them next week on episode 35. Can you believe it? Look how far we're coming along. I will have more details about the live show next week, but if you do, I'm sure you, by the time you're listening to it, you might already know about it if you're following me. And hopefully have your tickets. We want to sell it out. And we will see you there. But you will hear me all next week by the fireside. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.